On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to this episode of the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. In this episode, Trent Cockrum, CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcomes back Mark Hensley, Executive Director for Randolph Senior Adults Association. In his role at Randolph Senior Adults Association, Mark leads the organization as it engages with and supports the senior population that resides in Randolph County's expansive 800-square-mile landscape. Mark joined this organization with more than 35 years' experience in the banking industry, leading to a personal passion for equipping seniors and caregivers with important financial skills. Together, Trent and Mark will expose some of the financial scams targeting the aging population, talk through financial considerations that impact caregivers, and discuss practical strategies for having meaningful financial conversations with family members before a healthcare crisis. Let's listen in. Mark, it is great for you to be back with me today. Mark Hensley, of course, um, uh, my friend from Randolph Senior Adults Association. Um, you know, when we were doing an earlier podcast, um, I was really struck by your past experience as a banker. Um, and, you know, after that, you and I had a really interesting discussion about um, the financial considerations for caregivers, which is something that we know is important, but oftentimes sort of gets put maybe on the back burner. So I'm wondering, I appreciate you being with me today, and I'm hoping we can really have a thoughtful conversation. I know we will about this really important matter. Well, Trent, first of all, thanks again for having me back. I take this as a positive sign that you invited me back for uh, round two. So thank you. Absolutely. Um, and again, we we so much appreciate the partnership uh, Randolph Senior Adults has with uh, hospice. Um, yeah, I, you know, uh, some folks know this, some do not. But um, being the executive director at Senior Adults is my second career. I spent 38 years as a banker and the last uh, 18 or so uh, were here in Randolph County. And so um, that 38 years um causes me sometimes to look at things with a financial perspective or, you know, I, I know everybody doesn't get as excited as I do over numbers and facts and figures, but but that is just the way that, that I do look at things. And so as we look at uh, the the caregiver role in, in caring for a loved one, there's several things to, to consider. And the first thing I would say is it's very basic. Have you had some conversations with your loved one about, well, if you're going to move in here with me and and us you know, kind of help provide for you, or if I'm going to be caring for you, how do we pay your bills? Mm-hmm. Um, something as simple as who can sign a check to pay your utility bill, right? rent, or something that seems really basic. It seems really blocking and tackling kind of, kind of uh, information, but... A lot of times we we don't address that until maybe the loved one is no longer uh, able to to make some of those decisions. So something as simple as who's on your checking account, who can sign checks. I, I would point out that not every caregiver should be the trusted financial advisor. Maybe the caregiver for your loved one is someone that you're paying 
uh, to come in and care for uh, your mom or your granddad or whomever it may be. Sure. Or maybe it's a family member that's the trusted advisor. So I would encourage as an early step of going to your financial institution, your bank or credit union or whomever it may be, and finding out, well, who is on mom's account? Who can who can sign checks? Something as basic as that, while mom is still able to say, well, you know, I really want my daughter Mary to be the one who can issue checks. And so that's really important as an early step when it comes to um, thinking about that. And I think um, whether it's your bank, uh, maybe maybe you have a financial planner that assists you. Uh, they will all be happy to help you walk you through that that situation. That also leads into something that I know hospice is very much involved with, which is the estate planning, uh, everything from wills, um, um, uh, powers of attorney, all of those things that you guys provide support to. Uh, Legal Aid of North Carolina visits our uh, Ashboro Center. Uh, typically once a month that can provide assistance there. But um, when someone uh, dies intestate, does not have a will, it is very challenging for the heirs of that to to navigate that process. And so by having um, powers of attorney and, and a will in place, it makes it so much better for uh, your care as well as for uh, what your intentions are uh, after you're gone. Right. You know, one of the things um, that we that I think is really important is that, you know, what you talked about before in structuring your bank accounts is really just one of many steps, but perhaps the most foundational to being able to arrange your assets in a way that you want to be able to manage your care, realizing that different people have different levels of you know, uh, uh, financial, um, resources, but, and, and so what you're talking about is really just as simple as determining whether or not it's a joint account or, um, I mean, it, it, it's all just about probably a 10 or 15 minute conversation in your banking institution to be able to make these things happen. It isn't particularly complicated, right? That's correct. I mean, if you think of the typical scenario, it's a husband and wife with a joint checking account. Sure. And when one of those spouses passes, then you know the other, the remaining spouse still has full access to that account and can do transactions, write checks, do do whatever needs to be done. But as that remaining individual uh, ages and maybe needs assistance with some of these things, well, there's nobody else on that account. You know, remember the the original spouse has passed. The surviving spouse is getting to the point they need assistance, but those are the only two names on that joint account. So going in and taking that account and updating it to take the deceased individual off and to add the trusted advisor uh, to the joint is is very simple. And again, I think any of your any of the financial institutions, your your favorite banker, so to speak, would be happy to help. And I think we can't underscore enough the the responsibility that um you have to make sure that you are entrusting this these additional responsibilities to someone whom you can trust realizing let's just be honest 
you know, there are lots of different actors in many different families. Um, and the person that you may need to trust may not necessarily be a person in your family. And that's okay. It needs to fulfill your individual level of comfort and trust to make sure that you're entrusting someone with this really important responsibility, right? Absolutely. The, um, you know, it might be someone in your church. It might be, you know, a a pastor or someone that, that you have complete confidence in. You know, the, the other side of the family dynamic is maybe you have several children and it's hard to say, well, which one do I choose to be the trusted advisor? And right. in some cases, it might be easier to say, well, instead of selecting one of my four children, I'm going to select this person who is a trusted friend, trusted advisor uh, to to help me with this. So I think all of these are conversations and thoughts that need to be held as early in the process as as can can happen. There, there are going to be a series of conversations that a loved one's going to have to have with um with the person that they're caring for. Uh, it can be something as simple as what we've just talked about. Let's make sure, mom, that your accounts are structured, that we can take care of your bills. Sure. Um, but then it becomes, mom, I think you're getting to the point where driving a vehicle is not safe. Right. Which to me is is the first very difficult conversation to have. And, and the one that is fraught with the most emotion, I can assure you. Very much so. And it's... it's um, well, I taught you to drive. Why are you telling me I can't, I can't <laughs> right. drive now? Um, and, you know, in, in the reality, maybe maybe they're still capable. They're getting their license renewed. and and that. But at some point, that will become an issue where out of concern for their safety and other safety, that it's time to, to stop driving. And we're back yeah. with what we said in, in the previous podcast that, that you, you hosted me was that losing that independence or that right. independence. But the, but the second part of that is that leads to the next difficult conversation is I don't believe you can live in this house by yourself any longer. And so yeah. between not driving and not being in the house, the house that you raised your family in, and maybe you've lived for decades in, um, and you're simply not capable of caring for it. Um, maybe it poses some real safety hazards because sure. of just your furniture and things and, and falling. So those are difficult conversations, but you have to, you've got to have those. For sure. You know, it, it even, um, you know, it, it even opens up a, a, an equally important conversation. I hear about this all the time in the news and various news reports about, uh, about financial fraud schemes um, and how seniors, though I think it, it doesn't necessarily disproportionately affect seniors, I think it affects you know just about every demographic um, that that we have within our population. But it is it is particularly difficult for seniors. You know, if you think about someone who is of an advanced age, the the assets that they have amassed during the 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 time of their the span of their life you know, is what they have and they're so proud of it. And so, and so easily they can, uh, you know, um, they can easily fall prey to fraud. Can we have just a little bit of a conversation about financial fraud? 
Sure, Trent. Let me put my banker hat back on. I appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, but absolutely. Uh, right now, at this very moment, there are hackers around the world trying to think of new creative ways to, to either hack into an account, fish, which is pretending to be someone else to get yeah. to do something, or simply just a, a fraud that they're trying to put out, put forth to you that will cause you to respond in their favor. And, um, you know, I think I, I just thought of this. I mean, many, many of us who have gotten comfortable with a, a smartphone device, you know, many of us have gone away from what we call the landline and having right. a dedicated phone in our home. Many of our seniors that they've grown up with having a, a telephone in their home that in their mind is their lifeline. Right. And so, you know, if I get a phone on my, I made a call on my smartphone and I don't recognize the number, I'll just let that go to voicemail. Right. If I get a call at home on my landline, I may not have that capability. And so I'm picking up the phone and now I'm engaged with someone who could be very creative in what they're uh, perpetuating. So everything from um, getting sending an email, making a phone call that I'm with the Social Security Administration, your, your benefits are going to be ceased if you don't respond. We've seen fraudulent activity assigned to your Social Security number. Uh, another popular one is, well, I'm with your bank. I'm with Bank ABC. Uh, there, we think there's fraudulent activity on your account. I need you to give me your account number so I can verify the correct account um, and, and and make sure that we put a block on your account so nobody can fraudulently um, attack that. Uh, it could be someone calling you, uh, one that has been fairly popular is someone posing as a grandchild and just saying, granddad, I'm in jail and I, I, this is my one phone call. Uh, I need you to wire money or or send a gift card to this to this address, so I can get out of jail. And it, you know, you said, well, what? It, but it it call it it prompts someone to stop and think. Well, gosh, are they really in trouble? Do I need to help my my grandchild? Sure. It doesn't sound like their grandchild, or maybe they didn't say something specific to our relationship that would would make me know that. Right. And my desire to help is first and foremost. And so I kind of blow through maybe what the back of my mind is saying, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. Um, a lot of the these, emotion takes over the logic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of this started with, you know, um, getting some sort of co uh, contact that you've won this amount of money, or um, I have this amount of money that I want to entrust to you. And, and I would go back to the old adage um, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably not, you know. And so uh, we, we encourage people to stop, take a break, and ask for assistance. Again, who's your financial institution? I got this phone call, and they said it's from my bank, and they wanted me to give my account number. First of all, bank's not going to call you and say, give me your account number. Because they already have it, right? They have it. They have it. Um, the Social Security Administration is not going to call you or email you and say, send me your Social Security number or give me right. your Social Security number. They already have it. Right. But even if you got a phone call from your bank, for you to hang up and call your banker and say, I just got a call 
And I think it, they said it was Bank ABC, but I've never gotten a call like this before. Is that legit? So just take a, take a moment, stop. Again, back to that trusted advisor. Is it a family member? Is it a pastor? Is it someone that's a close friend? We've lived across the street for 30 years and we help each other. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Does this sound right to you? And, you know, before you act, you know, if, if it's legit and you need to call somebody back, great. But, but take, take a pause, ask for help before you, you take action. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'd sort of add to that, you know, I've, I've, I've never gotten a telephone call from someone who had been arrested. So I don't know how that exactly works. But one thing I can almost guarantee is that the sheriff's department or the jail or or the police department don't accept bail payments by, from your debit card by phone. Um, and I mean, that's just a real practical consideration. And, you know, it, it occurred to me while you were talking that, you know, it, if they called you for help once, they're still going to need your help once you get off the phone and take the time to verify that what they've actually shared with you is or is not accurate. And if it isn't accurate, just discount it. It's fine. It, absolutely. It It is okay to say to someone in a phone call uh, such as that is, um, I will get back with you. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, and then to, to go to that, you know, to, to do a little research. And if you're not capable of doing the, the digging or the research yourself, reach out to that trusted advisor, call, call your pastor, call your bank and say, again, I just got this phone call and they're telling me this. They've asked me to come into the bank and get a gift card. And I need to get that to the Randolph County Jail to get my grandson out. Well, I think most of your financial institutions are going to say that's not how it works. Right. You know, if you want to call the local jail and talk to them, that's fine. But they're not going to ask you for a gift card to get Junior out of jail. And so, again, don't even though it may sound like a dire situation. Press pause. Stop. Reach out for help. And because if if there's a, a situation that needs does need your assistance, it's still going to need your assistance two hours from now um, after you've had a chance to ask for help. Hi, friends. I want to quickly pause our conversation and speak directly to all the caregivers out there who have tuned in today. If you are a caregiver, let me encourage you to learn more about our monthly gathering for local caregivers called CarePoint. This group, formed by Hospice of the Piedmont, and Hospice of Randolph provides an opportunity for local caregivers to connect with and encourage one another. CarePoint provides a safe, supportive environment where caregivers can discuss their struggles and questions associated with caregiving, while also offering insights and suggestions to fellow caregivers. To learn more about CarePoint, access the link in today's show notes or visit www.hospiceofpiedmont.org forward slash CarePoint. You know, one of the things that we haven't talked about um, as it relates to and taking advantage a little bit, Mark, of your of your past banking experience um, and thinking about resource planning is, you know, the the considerations of the structure of your of your accounts is really important. The the way you have your assets set up, but caring for yourself as you age and caring and, and enlisting the support of others, someone in your family or someone else to help with your care, 
can be really expensive. Um, I mean, can you talk just a little bit about some of the things that we don't often necessarily think about that go into the cost of of caring for someone in a in in a home environment, even for example? Absolutely. And, and one of the things that we strive for at Randolph Senior Adults, um, and I know you guys do too, is is helping that senior adult remain in their home for as long as they possibly can. Right. I use the word institutionalization, and by that I mean an assisted living facility. And these are wonderful facilities, sure. very expensive um, to, to, to pay for. So it's not only costly to the individual, but it can be costly to the community because if you don't have the means to, to pay for it yourself, then – your community ultimately winds up paying for that. But but to your point, for someone who's still living at home but is now needing uh, care uh, and caregiver support, uh, things that we wouldn't necessarily think about or maybe we don't want to think about uh, can add up. Um, a word that a lot of people don't want to talk about is incontinence and, and uh, the incontinence supplies that you need. And you think about... Uh, the supplies that you need to get through a single day with someone who's having incontinence issues and then overnight. And you think about uh, that along with gloves and wipes and uh, maybe you're going to, you now need to keep a washable bed pad um, in the bed with that individual. Um, and, and all those things begin to add up. And I don't know, one, because it's something that people really don't like to talk about, but it doesn't get talked about until you're right in the middle of it and you're going, wow, how are we going to pay for three packs of Depends for this week to get my loved one through the week? And those costs, when, it, when, it's, a, when it's an ongoing expense, just like going to the grocery store, the, the costs add up. And so... Right. You know, a pack of Depends adult diapers can run forty to sixty dollars, depending upon uh, the the number in the packet. Um, you know exactly what type of 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 uh, supply you're buying, and you say, "Well, that's forty to sixty dollars," but that could be multiple times a week. Um, right. Another thing that that you have when our loved one is no longer either interested in or as able to eat uh, a meal, uh, then there are things called nutritional supplements. Um, the, the names that come to mind are Boost and Ensure uh, that maybe you can get that drink down your loved one easier than them trying to sit and eat a meal. Uh, there's a cost associated with buying those cans of, of Boost and Ensure. And so, You've got that cost um, in addition to the uh, the incontinence supplies. Um, you, you know, you're, you may have um, uh, the, the cost of of uh, clothing. You know, the the my mom has a closet full of clothes, and now she wears none of that. Right. And so we've got to go out and maybe get some things that are one very comfortable for her to wear. But two, that are easier to get on, uh, you know, pulling things over her head is no longer, you know, an, an easy task to do. Right. So something as basic as clothing can take on a different dynamic that we don't really think about when we get into the caregiving role. Yeah. 
You know, Mark, as as uh, we sort of close out our conversation today, first of all, thank you for being with me again. I really appreciate your allowing us the time to have this really insightful conversation. You know, one of the things that sort of keeps coming back in my mind um, as we've had this conversation today is what you're talking about is being prepared, being prepared as the senior, being prepared as the potential uh, caregiver being prote- being prepared as the current caregiver. Um, you know, we've talked a bit about uh, a lot about, in fact, uh, you know, making sure you're you've got a, a trusted person to help you manage your finances. That you've made your healthcare wishes known um, through maybe a living will, for example, which our organization can assist with um, uh, creating a, a a healthcare power of attorney, which we are also able to assist with, um, and then and then more importantly, creating maybe even a durable power of attorney, which you have access to legal aid um, uh, and um, and even a will. Um, all this is all about preparedness, um, you know. And and the interesting part of this is that all of us will age. That's known. Um, we're all going to be seniors, and the 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 time that we are willing to invest on the front end and making sure that we are as well prepared really helps pay dividends in the end by making it so much easier for the folks who are caring for us, um, one, but then two, uh, allows us then the opportunity to age in in a in a more perhaps even resilient manner than we would have otherwise because we're not just simply responding to the immediate need because we've made a good plan. Yeah, I think um, that's that's really well said. I think the being prepared. I, you can you can attach that to anything we do, uh, and certainly in in your role and in my role, being prepared for what what may come tomorrow and, right. and from now and in two years from now. But it, it takes us back to beginning to have some of those conversations with our loved one. And sometimes um, your loved one doesn't want, I mean, we're talking about one's own mortality here mm. and aging. And, and I don't really want to have these conversations. And unfortunately, if you put that off and put that off to where they're no longer able to have that conversation, then you're in a real hole. You're in a real difficult position. So you know, maybe you do it in pieces and you, you start with the basics of let's get let's make sure your checking account is set up the way it needs to be. And then we we move on into a healthcare power of attorney or a living will or you know those kinds of comments. And and then you begin to talk about, well, you know, is driving the safest thing. I mean, you you build into some of those conversations. Um, I will give you an example of two extremes, Trent, that I just thought of. Uh, I know an individual who lived to be 94, and as she aged, she had everything mapped out, even down to the things in her home. If you picked up an item in her home and turned it over, she had a sticky note at the bottom of it on who she wanted to get <laughs> that, that item. And so she had everything, power of attorney, everything was was done. I, I converged that with an individual that I know who lived to also be in her late 80s, but her approach was, well, when I'm gone, my children can figure it out. Well, um, that made it a really difficult time for the three children. Um, no will, no, I want Joe to get this and Mary to get that and that kind of thing. Nothing, nothing along those lines. 
And and hopefully most of our um, seniors would prefer prefer that those kinds of things be taken care of for yeah. their 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 family. So, uh, yeah, and I would say, Trent, thanks again for having me back. Um, it's great to be able to talk about this. This is what you and I do uh, on a daily basis. But but I, I would again say something I said in the, fir- the first podcast that you had me to be a part of is reach out. Um, uh, you know, ask ask for assistance. You know, one of the things we do here at Senior Adults, we have a, a caregiver skills class, and it's this is about taking care of yourself as the caregiver because if right. you if you do this twenty four seven and you don't care for yourself, you're not going to be much help to the, the loved one that you're caring for. Right. So reach out, ask for help. Is there a support group I can help uh, or ask for help? Uh, where do I turn for resources? Who do I go to just to ask questions? Right. So I, that's how I would say we. Uh, one of the things I would leave is ask for help because there are people here to help you through this difficult time. Mark, thank you so much for sharing your really unique perspective and for allowing me to tap into uh, your experience both uh, in the senior care uh, industry, and then also as your time in a, as a banker, because it was really just incredibly insightful. So thanks again for being here. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks again, Trent. We really appreciate all the support hospice provides to senior adults. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the E-Series. Be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll receive a notification as each future episode publishes. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.